Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. Thank you for coming and joining us for worship here at Ivy Creek today. We're grateful to have all of you who are in the room. Thankful for all of you who've joined us online. Uh, we're gra- glad that you are here and uh, are part of our services. And we want to continue worshiping the Lord today by studying God's Word together. So if you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, please take them out. Turn with me once again to the book of Acts and to chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, which is going to be there in verse 26, and we're going to work our way through the end of the chapter. And uh, we're going to uh, look at the familiar story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And, you know, as I studied this passage, um, I was once again reminded of my most recent trip to Guatemala. We had the opportunity to share that those stories with you uh, uh, a couple of weeks back about our, our trip down there, and, uh, and I had even... Uh, shared a little bit with you about one of the visits that I made there, but I was thinking back to those uh, evangelistic house visits that we made to the little area there outside of Guatemala City called La Planeta, and uh, we were told that after the fact, when we had gotten back from some of those those places, that we that was the first time that foreigners from another country had even gone into that area, and I wasn't aware of that before we went on the trip. But it made sense after we got back out because of all the staring that was done to us while we were in there. Uh, I think it was the first time they had seen Americans, and it certainly when we spoke, it was the first time that they had probably heard English being spoken. And so uh, we looked and we sounded very different uh, from those folks that we went back in and were able to share the gospel with. In fact, I even I even used that as a, as a means of being able to share the gospel. I went into one one little house uh, with my daughters, and, and we were talking to this lady. She was probably late 60s, early 70s. And, and I just kind of acknowledged the fact of just how different we were. You know, she, she was a, a grandmother, a Guatemalan grandmother who had really never left that village in her life. And, and here I was, an American father traveling with my daughters overseas and had been all over the world. And, and uh, there was a lot of differences. And we had come there just to be able to share the good news of Christ uh, with others just like her. And, and I acknowledge that our language was different and that our cultures were different and that our, our experiences and our lives were very different from one another. Then I explained that for all of the differences that we could come up with that, that divided and separated she and I, we were still very much alike in one crucial area. And that was just simply that in our lives we had both done things, we had said things, We had thought things that we knew were wrong, that we knew were displeasing, that we knew hurt others, and that we also knew hurt God. And so as such, even though we were very different, we were very much the same in that we were both sinners. And because of that, both of us faced the same judgment. Both of us as sinners stood condemned to eternal death, separated from God. But I also explained that it was because she and I both faced that same horrible judgment that I had come to visit her. I had come to share with her the good news. The same good news that had completely changed my life and had changed my eternity was available to her as well. And I had come to tell her about Jesus, God's own son, who had come to earth to live a perfect life, a sinless life, a life in which he never did anything. He never said anything. He never thought anything that was not absolutely holy. He had lived the life that I should have lived but never did. 
Not only that, but He came to die on Calvary's cross and thereby bear all of the punishment of the burden of my sin upon Himself. And because of that, He was forsaken by God as, as God poured out His punishment and His wrath upon Jesus. And so I explained to her, here's the good news. Jesus Christ has lived the life that you and I have never lived so that He could die a perfect, holy, sinless death and, and able to give us eternal life. And I explained that this is what it meant to be saved, to place her faith in Jesus Christ and what He had done. And that the salvation that He came to provide was not just for me, but was for her and was for any who will humble themselves before the Lord and confess Him as Savior and as Lord. And I explained that as different as she and I might be on the outside, we were the same on the inside and that God's love for us was the same and so was His offer of salvation. And listen, what I want you to know is that that is what makes the good news of the gospel such good news. It's good for every man, woman, boy, and girl. No matter how dissimilar, no matter how different we may be from one another, there is one thing that unites us all. And that is that all of us are sinners in absolute need of the gospel of Jesus Christ to save us. We're going to see that truth emerge from this passage today here in Acts chapter 8. Luke tells us about two men who were about as different from one another as two men could be. And yet what we find is that the gospel of Jesus unites them. And I want you to know there's great hope in that message for all of us in this room today. So let's, let's read this passage together. I'm going to begin reading in verse 26 and read down through verse 40. Hear the word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. And the place in the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And notice verse 37. Some of you may not have it in your particular translations, but verse 37 in the New King James says this, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So, verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, 
so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for this opportunity that we have to open our Bibles and open your word and to read it for ourselves and now to be able to study it. So I pray that you would help us to understand that which we have read and help it to Lord to to sink deep within us and that it would ignite a passion within us to live our lives for you. This is my prayer and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. As I... um, often do, I have provided you with some simple hooks for us to hang our thoughts on as we move our way through this passage, and hopefully they will help us see the flow of the text and and also provide us with some jumping off points for us to ponder. And the first one is just simply this. At the very outset of this text, what what we find is that there is a puzzling mission, a puzzling mission. If you've been tracking with us in our previous studies of this chapter, you'll you'll recall that the first few verses of chapter 8 set up what can only be described as as an interesting, if not mystifying, scenario for Philip. Luke tells us back up in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 8 that following the persecution of the church there in Jerusalem... Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And then verse 6 says, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. And then it follows that up with what is is read there in verse 8, that there was great joy in that city. So what we read there is that by all accounts, Philip enjoyed a very fruitful and, 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 and tremendously successful ministry. There in Samaria, he was preaching the gospel. Multitudes were coming to faith in Christ. Many were being saved. He he was riding a wave of what we would determine to be successful ministry. God was using him mightily in Samaria. That's what makes the transition to verse 26 such a head scratcher. Because we read that God speaks to Philip by an angel of the Lord and tells him to leave Samaria and to arise and go south of Jerusalem toward Gaza. And then Luke adds this little comment, this is desert. Now, the thing about that desert doesn't just mean that it's a dry, dusty, uh, sandy place. No, it means that it's an isolated place, that it's a desolated place, that it's a, a deserted place. Now, let's be honest, that's, that's a puzzling mission that God sends Philip on. In light of the evangelistic success that Philip was experiencing in Samaria, why would God take him from there and then have him go to where nobody was? On the surface, that's that's a puzzling new assignment if we truly think about it. But listen, God God works in ways that we don't always understand. Um, He works according not to our way of thinking, but to His divine decrees. He moves in mysterious ways. He moves in puzzling ways. Often in ways that we might consider to be inconvenient. Nevertheless, He is a sovereign God who knows precisely what He is doing. And He never makes mistakes. So consequently, 
The responsibility of his children is to obey him. Regardless of whether he was, whether we completely understand his ways or not. That was the scenario that Philip faced here. When the angel of the Lord told him to arise and go south to the deserted road that led to Gaza, no other information was given to Philip at that point. Philip had no idea why he was supposed to go there or what he was supposed to do when he got there. All he had was a clear word from the Lord that said, Go. The question was, would Philip obey God's word? Brothers and sisters, you and I faced the same question. Sometimes all that the Lord gives us in our lives is His word and a command to go. In a particular, to move in a particular direction in which He gives us. We're not told why we're supposed to move there. We're not told what's going to happen as a result of it when we go there. What He's going to do with us when we get there. All we have is God's Word that tells us to go. And I want you to know sometimes when God gives us that direction in our lives, it takes us in a completely different direction than we had already been traveling. Sometimes it puts us on a different path than we would have ever chosen for ourselves. Sometimes it puts us not only on a strange path, it puts us on a difficult path, a hard path, even a painful path. Nevertheless, as His children, we are called to take steps of obedience and go where He leads us. Now, admittedly, that is not an, always an easy thing to do, particularly if you're wired like I am. I'm one who likes to know all of the answers before I decide to take a step. Now, I'm just being honest and transparent with you. I'm one that likes all the lights turned on in the room before I'm going to start walking because I don't want to trip over stuff. But may I tell you, that's not exactly how God works. Amen. It doesn't do that. God is, not, God is not obligated to turn on all the lights in the room and tell us where exactly where the end result is going to be. What God often does is give us enough light to take the next step. And He necessitates that we do that. In fact, let me say this. God is not obligated to tell us anything with regard to where we're going to go, particularly if we're standing still and haven't even taken the first step of obedience and following Him. As most of you know, steering a car when it's still and not moving is kind of a hard thing to do. If you ever grab that steering wheel and you try to turn the wheels on the front of the car. It's difficult to do when it's sitting still. But as you give it gas and you begin to move, as motion begins to take place, it becomes much easier to turn the wheel of a car. I want you to know following the Lord is very similar. It's similar in this regard because as you move forward in obedience to that which God has already commanded you to do, then then as that happens, God often begins to reveal new things to you with regard to the trip that He has planned for your life. He's certainly not obligated to do it while you remain sitting still, having failed to take the first step of obedience. That's what happens here. Philip responds to God's puzzling mission with forward motion. And when he got to that deserted road that led to Gaza, we notice the next important section of this passage. The next hook on your outline is just simply this. We recognize that God had orchestrated a planned meeting. He had orchestrated a planned meeting. When, when Philip got to the road where the Lord had sent him, he encountered a man traveling in a chariot who was reading from the prophet Isaiah. 
And at that point, the Spirit of God spoke to Philip and said, Go near and overtake this chariot. Now, before we go any further, let's consider some geography here. Samaria, where Philip had been preaching, was located to the north of Jerusalem, about 25 to 30 miles. Gaza, on the other hand, was located south and west of Jerusalem, about 40 to 50 miles. And so therefore, for, to have these two men converge and to meet one another on this deserted road that led from Jerusalem to Gaza, well, that necessitated that Philip would have had to have left Samaria quite a while ahead of when this Ethiopian eunuch left Jerusalem. Now, when, when Luke is telling this story, he just naturally assumes that his readers are going to put that together and think about it. We don't necessarily think geographically sometimes, particularly in the Middle East and particularly in the way that Israel was lined up. But if you think about it, that means that, that, that Philip, when God gave him this, this, this mission, this puzzling mission, it was prior probably to whenever the Ethiopian eunuch had ever left Jerusalem. You know what that tells us? That tells us that God is often working behind the scenes in ways that we would never imagine in order for Him to be able to introduce those that need to hear His gospel. God is actively working. He is is not some distant God who remains aloof and detached from us. He's not a God who doesn't show any interest in us, takes no active role in our lives. No, He is an active God, even when we do not realize it. And as He does here, He often moves behind the scenes to bring His will to pass. In fact, let me be so bold as to say this, that God has been and He continues to work behind the scenes of your life to bring the gospel to your attention, just as He did with this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, there's a few things that I think we ought to note about this man. Things that differentiate him from Philip. First of all, he was, he was obviously wealthy. F.F. Bruce points out that common folks traveled by foot. I would imagine that that's probably how Philip got to this place on this road, was by foot. That's the way common folk back then traveled. Prosperous folk rode donkeys. Military generals rode horses. Wealthy people rode in chariots. This man was obviously a wealthy individual. He was not only wealthy, he was, he was influential. We read there, Luke tells us that he was a treasurer of the queen of Ethiopia. He had great influence, governmental influence. There were probably many attendants that, that were at his bidding. And furthermore, being from Ethiopia, he was a Gentile who would have had much darker skin than Philip had. Not only did he have darker skin, he had come from a different culture than than Philip had come from. Very, very different. Very different from Philip. Luke also tells us that he was a eunuch, which means that he had been emasculated at some point in his life, which was common in those cultures to do. It was common to emasculate young men who were being groomed to serve in high-ranking official capacities, because it was believed by doing so that they would be let more loyal, less likely to start a coup, less likely to, to try to, to, to un, unnerve the government in some way because of their own family line. So this man was a eunuch. We know that Philip was not. We read about him later in the book of Acts that he was a man 
who had virgin daughters, so we know that he was married and had a family of his own. So the eunuch and Philip are very different in this way. But I think it's also worth noting what we read about this Ethiopian eunuch here. It really provides us with a lot of worthy information regarding this trip that he had made to Jerusalem. You see, Luke tells us in verse 27 that this man had gone to travel to Jerusalem in order to worship. And I immediately want to know, well, how did he learn to want to do that? I mean, he's from, he's from, this, from North Africa and he had traveled all this way up to Jerusalem in order to, to encounter Yahweh, Israel's God. Who had introduced him to that? How did he know about it? What, what, what took place there? Luke gives us no background information, so all we can do is just wonder and, 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 and put together some sort of ideas that might be the case. What's important for the, for the text is he had made it to Jerusalem and in light of everything that Luke tells us about him, he had likely had a very disappointing trip. You see, though he sincerely sought God, the God of the Jews, and, and though he sincerely desired a relationship with him as a Gentile, This man, once he got to Jerusalem, would have found out that he was not allowed to enter the innermost parts of the temple. That was reserved for only Jews. Furthermore, because he was a eunuch, if that information actually became known to others there in the temple precincts, based upon what is written in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, he would not have been allowed to to even enter the temple courts at all. A mutilated or emasculated man could not even go into the temple at all based upon that passage. So what all that means is that even though this Ethiopian eunuch obviously wanted a relationship with Israel's God, he would have been kept at arm's length and he would have been treated as an outcast, damaged goods, less than a man. But the beautiful part of this story is that God saw this Ethiopian eunuch just as he was. Different, mutilated, lonely, and longing. And listen, he had Philip, a man who was as different from that Ethiopian eunuch as he could be. He had Philip go and take the gospel message to him. So clearly, this is a planned meeting by God Himself. Now notice what happens next, beginning in verse 28. As Philip nears the chariot in which the Ethiopian eunuch is riding, he overhears this man reading a passage from the prophet Isaiah. Specifically, he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. And again, as we noted earlier, God often works behind the scenes to bring the good news of the gospel to your attention. And I immediately understand it, that what this means is that this man, this, his wealth is being displayed again here. Because to have a scroll of the prophet Isaiah in his possession, they were few and far between even in that first century world. But for him to have that there shows that he had acquired it most likely when he had gotten to Jerusalem and had acquired it probably at a very high price. But nevertheless, he had it here. And he could have been reading from any part, but he's reading from Isaiah 53, which I would suggest to you is the quintessential Old Testament passage that teaches us about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 53 is where we hear these various terms and and, and, and passages that we're familiar with. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. 
We read there about how he, he uh, was pierced for our transgressions, how he was crushed for our iniquities. It describes in Isaiah 53 how all we like sheep have gone astray. And it also tells us how the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. All of that's included right there in Isaiah 53. And so this, this man, this Ethiopian eunuch, obviously had been reading all of that, but that's not even the verses that he has the questions about. According to verses 32 and 33, the specific verses that this Ethiopian wanted to know about was the verses that talked about how like a sheep led to slaughter, that there was this man who was led before uh, those that would, would, would kill him and he never uttered a word. He was one who had denied, who had been denied justice and, and he was humiliated and how his life had been taken from him. And Philip hears this, this Ethiopian eunuch reading this passage and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how can I understand it unless somebody explains it to me? And so he invites Philip up into his chariot. I've just kind of thought to myself, I wonder what Philip thought first time he got up in that chariot. Probably like the first time I ever sat down in a Ferrari. It wasn't my Ferrari. <laughs> I was invited to get in it. And I sat down in that thing and I thought, all right. This is a lot different from anything I've ever been in before in my life. I wasn't given the keys and asked to drive it, by the way. But I did get to ride in it and I thought, how cool. I can only imagine that, that Philip is probably looking around at all the things that he's got there. But listen, he didn't get overwhelmed with his surroundings. He knew he was there for a purpose. You see, he recognized when he heard this Ethiopian eunuch reading this passage, now I know why I'm here. I didn't know why God sent me this way. It was puzzling to me before. But now that I've got here in this planned meeting and I hear what this man is saying, I know now I'm to do the same thing that I've been doing up in Samaria. I'm to open my mouth and preach Jesus to this man. And that's exactly what we read happening. Notice, notice that Philip opened his mouth, verse 35, and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. That brings me to the next little point there on your outline. The next hook is this. Philip preached a pointed message. He preached a pointed message. The purpose of this planned meeting was for Philip to point this man to Jesus. So that's what Philip did. He explained that the one about whom Isaiah had written was Jesus the Messiah. Now, listen, if that verse there in verse 35 sounds somewhat familiar to you, that he preached Jesus to them, if it sounds familiar, it ought to, because the same man that wrote that, Luke, also wrote Luke chapter 24. And in Luke chapter 24 is where we find there was two men walking to the road to Emmaus, where they were from. And they were walking on this road following what had just happened in Jerusalem where Jesus had been crucified. Their Master, their Savior, their Lord, the one in whom they had put all of their hope had been crucified on the cross. And now they're walking back home and they're sad and they're dejected because He had been taken down from that cross and He had been placed into a tomb. And they say to one another, we had hoped that He would be the one who would redeem Israel. Jesus comes along and is with them and walks down the road with them, but they don't recognize it's Jesus. They don't recognize their, their friend, their Messiah, and they do not know that He has been resurrected from the dead. And so they explain their sadness to them, 
to this, to this stranger walking with them down the road. And Jesus begins to explain to them the reason that you're sad and the reason why you're overwhelmed and dejected is because you have not understood the Scriptures and how they testify to me. And then in verse 27 of Luke chapter 24, Jesus, the Bible says, "...in beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself." Now that passage there in Luke chapter 24 and this passage here in Acts chapter 8 both testify to the same thing. And it tells us that the Scriptures... All of them center around Jesus Christ. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible tells us that the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice are the grand centerpiece of all of Scripture. And what that means is that the Bible is not just this collection of of a bunch of nice little religious stories that are just sort of ad hoc thrown out there for us to take and choose as we please. No, the Bible from, from Genesis to Revelation is 66 books written by 40 authors over the period of hundreds of years in which it comes together for a cohesive testimony of the truth concerning Jesus Christ, that He came to live a sinless, perfect life that you could not live and that I could not live and that He died on Calvary's cross to pay our sin debt so that we might believe in Him and be saved from our sins. And as such, it is the best possible news that anyone could ever read and that we have the ability to proclaim to others. So Philip proclaimed to this Ethiopian eunuch the good news of Jesus and he pointed him to the grand centerpiece of Scripture and of all history. Which leads to the last thing I want to point you to from this text. Notice the last hook. We witness a powerful miracle. A powerful miracle occurs here. Notice what happens next. After Philip points this Ethiopian eunuch to Jesus, suddenly everything changes for this man. The Holy Spirit began to do a work in his heart. And he began to realize that all those walls that had separated him from others, all those things that made him different, all those things that caused him to be looked down upon by everybody else, that God had overcome it all through Christ. Not only that, but he he began to realize that, that, that everything that that people thought about him because of the mutilation of his body, because of the color of his skin, because of his nationality. None of those things kept him from the freedom that was offered to him in Jesus. And suddenly a new and glorious day had dawned in this man's life. You see, he had gone to Jerusalem seeking God. But in fact, what this text tells us is that it was God who had sought him out by sending Philip to cross his path and to lead him to salvation, which is exactly what happened. Luke tells us that this Ethiopian eunuch believed. He he placed his faith in Jesus the Messiah without hesitation. In fact, as soon as they saw a watering hole on this deserted road, he wanted Philip to baptize him right then. He said, what hinders me from being baptized? The man immediately wanted to be identified with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that is nothing less than a truly powerful miracle. Let me say just a brief word about verse 37. I mentioned it to you when I went through that some of you have got it in your versions and others of you don't. That's because verse 37, technically many believe that that was an addition from a later scribe who wanted to put that to make sure that we understand completely what what this man believed. 
And, and so in many of yours, if you're New American Standard or an NIV or an ESV, you may not see it, or if you do see it, there's probably bracketed with a footnote that tells you that in the earliest and oldest manuscripts, this verse does not appear. And very likely it was added at a later time by a scribe. But listen, that does not in any way do damage to the text or to the story. In fact, there is nothing here that is written in verse 37 that is not corroborated by other passages of Scripture that tell us the exact same thing. For example, in Matthew chapter 16, we read that Jesus asks Peter, Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's that's Peter's own declaration of what he believed. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Later in Acts chapter 16, Peter is there, or the Philippian jailer, I'm sorry, Paul and Silas are there and the Philippian jailer falls down before them and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they reply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, Philip tells this Ethiopian eunuch, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And the, and the eunuch responds back that he does believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Let me just simply say this to you. The message of the Scriptures is that you are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. That is what it means to be saved. And listen, to believe in or really as this this, uh, preposition is to believe into Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is more than just saying, yeah, I believe Jesus lived. I believed He was a good man. I believe He was, he was a guy that taught really good stuff and lived on this earth. And, and He's probably a really good person for me to emulate my life after. No, to believe on Jesus Christ means that you turn loose of everything else and you grasp solely onto Him. To believe into Him means that you are acknowledging that He is your sole source of salvation, that there is nothing else and no one else who could ever save you. It means that you drop everything else that you've ever aligned yourself to and you align yourself with Him and in Him alone. And you're willing to to take on His characteristics and His attributes on your life, not because you can make them occur, but because you've asked Him to come and to live into your heart and to begin to be the one who, who drives you toward how you live your life. That's what it means to believe on Jesus Christ. And to believe in this way is to place your full confidence and your full trust in Him and only in Him and letting go of everything else, believing only and trusting only in Him for your salvation. That's what this Ethiopian eunuch did. He placed his complete and undivided faith in Jesus Christ to save him from his sins. And then he followed the example set by Jesus and was baptized right there in some water on the side of the road. And then the next thing that we read there in verse 39 is as soon as they come up out of the water, Philip's gone. He's gone. What happened to him? I don't know. Something did. He just all of a sudden wasn't there. And some people go, isn't that a miracle? Yes, it is. But I want you to know the greater miracle is what occurred in the heart of that Ethiopian eunuch. And here's what even else is cool. It tells us there that, that when, the, when Philip was whisked away to Azotus, did you notice what it says? Luke tells us that the eunuch saw Philip no more and he went his way rejoicing. Now, I don't think that means that he was glad that Philip was gone. What I think that means is that his source of joy was not Philip. His source of joy was Jesus. Because he had aligned himself with Christ and now he realized that everything 
that he had always looked for, this relationship that he had always wanted with a God who would love him as he was, he now had. And this is why I tell you, this is where the great exchange occurs. He had put all of that that was a burden upon him onto Christ, and Christ had given everything to him that he had desired, salvation and hope and a life and a future. He experienced great joy. And I want you to know that same joy is available to you today. That same good news that was received by this Ethiopian eunuch is for you as well. It doesn't matter what you've done or what's been done to you. Whatever blemishes you may have, whatever disqualifications you believe will keep you from God, I want you to know that Jesus has overcome them all. And you, when you find your peace in Him, you will find your joy with Him. And what a tremendous description of the amazing work of God in the lives of two men that Luke has shared with us. A story that tells us, tells us how God uses His children to impact others. And it's a story that demonstrates the power that the gospel has to reach men, women, boys, and girls at the point of their greatest need. All of that then leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. God sometimes leads us into puzzling situations so we can point others who may be very different from us to our one commonality, our absolute need of the gospel of Jesus. In light of that, then, let me ask you this morning, have you believed on Jesus Christ? Have you believed into Jesus? Have you placed your full faith in Him to save you from the penalty of your sins? The Bible tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And what that means is that you can can work as hard as you can possibly work. But if your confidence is in yourself and not in what Jesus Christ has done through His death and resurrection, all of that work is in vain. And you will never please God. If you've never trusted in Christ to save you, if you've never admitted your sin and humbly asked Him to forgive you and to cleanse you, I plead with you today to come to Jesus. To fall before Him and receive His offer of mercy and grace. Place your faith in Him and make Him the Lord and the ruler of your life. Now, if that is your testimony, then, then, then let me ask you this. Are you pointing others to Jesus? Brothers and sisters, there is no greater news that we could ever declare to the world around us. A world that admittedly in many ways is far different from us. Believes things that we, we, we avow is not true. They're not governed by the same authority that we hold forth. They're very different from us in many, many ways. And yet, I believe there is nothing greater that we could ever share with the world around us that is very different from us and very diverse and very broken and very hurting and very disjointed than the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that it is our distinct honor and our privilege to tell those around us of the good news of Christ. We are commissioned to do so. My prayer is that we will be found faithful and that we will be found obedient even when our mission is puzzling 
I pray that in our obedience we will see what Philip saw. That there will be many who like that Ethiopian eunuch will trust in Jesus and go their way rejoicing. Let me add one last footnote and I promise I'll hush. We don't hear from Philip again. He goes to Azotus and then he begins passing from there and he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And we don't hear about him again until later in Acts, Acts chapter 21, when when the message that Luke tells us takes takes, uh, uh, Paul there to Caesarea and we, we hear about him then. But we never hear about the Ethiopian eunuch ever again in Scripture. We don't know what happened. And inquiring minds like mine always wonder, what did he do? What did end up happening with him? Well, many scholars throughout the centuries have supposed that this Ethiopian eunuch had great authority. Let's remember what his position was and the influence that he had and the wealth that he had and who he worked for. He was the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. And that after having come to faith in Christ, that he went back to where he was from there in North Africa. And that as a result of his testimony that the gospel spread far and wide throughout that country and out that region. In fact, Derek Thomas writes that what we see take place here on this unobserved and remote desert region actually impacted the course of the church for centuries to come. Why? Well, he writes some of the most important names in early church history were Africans. Cyprian, Tertullian, Augustine. All of these came from North Africa, just to name those three. And while initially the conversion of the Ethiopian appears less significant in light of the outbreak of the revival that was occurring in Samaria, that one man down on that road, that deserted road, man, God, wouldn't you want to leave him up there? Thomas proposes that the conversion of this Ethiopian eunuch had far greater significance in the long term than the revival in Samaria had. Listen, you know what that tells us? God sometimes leads us into puzzling situations, but in reality, they're only puzzling because we don't understand the full story that God is in the process of writing. We only have a small sliver of what God's doing and that's all we have the ability to understand. But God is weaving a tapestry of His grace and using scenarios in which you and I are involved to accomplish things far greater than we can even begin to imagine. So you know what that means for the church today? It means that when God presents us with something that to us is puzzling, you know what we ought to do? Trust Him. Trust Him. Obey Him. Take the steps of obedience that we know to take and walk in obedience with the Lord and allow Him to do the great work that He does. May we be found faithful even in the puzzling missions that Christ lays before us. Brothers and sisters, this is the Word of God and it is for the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and thank You for what it teaches us about how you work in our lives and how you do such phenomenal things far beyond our imagination and in ways that we have no idea. I believe that there are those in this room today that, that the gospel being presented to them perhaps for the umpteenth time, maybe for the first time, 
are being confronted with the truth that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and that they must humble themselves before Him and receive the the joy that comes from committing their lives to Him. Father, there may be some in this room today that didn't think that there was ever any hope for them, that there's never any way that they could overcome the obstacles that they have even created for themselves in their lives. I pray that today that 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 myth would be completely demolished but the truth of the gospel that says if you will come, those who will confess their sins and place their faith in Christ will be saved. I pray that. I ask that you would do that great work of salvation just as you have done here in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch today. There are others in this room though that I also believe are struggling with what you've called them to do. It doesn't make sense to them. It doesn't seem to, to, to add up. and you, They don't know what's in front of them and they're struggling with that and there's a sense of anxiety that, that is accompanying that which you've called them or, or the scenario that you've placed in their lives. I pray that today they would recognize that you're a sovereign God who is working out all things for their good and for your glory. So I pray that you would increase their faith. Help them to continue to be obedient. Help them to recognize that they're not always going to have the full understanding but that you are a God that works and that you're active that you've not abandoned them so give them hope today hope to follow you and give them the the power through your Holy Spirit to walk obediently I thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church and I thank you for what you're doing in the individual lives of each and every one of these who are here Now, Father, may you be honored and glorified in the remaining time we have together this morning. In Christ's holy name, amen.